Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. And as you're looking that up, let's join in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we just uh, we thank and praise you uh, for the privilege that it is to be your hands and feet, to be the body that you described the church as being, each one of us a different part, with a purpose to come together and to glorify you. And as we have come together to glorify you, we can't give the world what we haven't yet received ourselves. And so we pray that we might receive your wisdom and your truth as it is communicated through your spirit by the reading of your word. Help us to draw closer to you, that we might be closer to you when we leave than when we came. It is in Jesus' name all God's people said, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity on the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, last week we began our winter sermon series. It's titled Emotional Faith. And it seems to me like we must be onto something collectively within the church because um, just this week, our St. John's kids, we all get, those of us who are parents, we get a weekly email newsletter. And in that newsletter, there's a blog that's called the Parent Q Blog. And the, the article this week was titled 2022 Mental Health Goals. For every parent, and the author began with this sentence If 2020 felt like a free fall, 2021 brought us a roller coaster of emotions. Can we all agree? <laughs> like, that's absolutely how it has felt for us for sure. And she goes on to describe all the different examples of the ever changing dynamics and decisions and changes in the world around us and has some very helpful mental health goals for parents in 2022. So if you get those emails, go check that out. I'll also put it in the email that goes out to the whole church um, because I recognize that parents are not, we can all relate to this. We are all on the same roller coaster. And last week I shared that, that with all of these sustained tensions and changes and decisions, both good and bad, have come a variety of emotional responses. And we learned last week that our emotions, those that are desirable and those that are less desirable, they both have a God-given purpose. There's two that we talked about. The first one is that we're made in the likeness and image of God. And so your emotions reflect the emotions of God. When you experience happiness or anger or sadness or jealousy, you are tying into a part of you that in some way, shape, or form, maybe very distorted, but in some way, shape, or form teaches you something about the character and the emotions of God. And so that's the first thing we talked about, and we spent most of our time on that Part last Sunday. Um, and then the second thing that we learned in what we're going to talk about for the rest of the series is that our emotions also point to the current state of our own heart. And that's what we're going to get into today and for the rest of the series. What does our emotional response say 
about ourselves? What does the emotions that come to the surface in response to the world around us say about the world within us? What scares us? What makes us feel safe and secure? What makes us happy? And that's the question. What makes us happy that we're going to focus on today? Um, today being the second week of the series, we're also the second week in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. We spent uh, our bulk of our time last week at the beginning of chapter 3. We're going to spend the rest of it here in this part of chapter 3 and chapter 5. And to review, it's written by an author who in Hebrew has the name Koheleth. And Koheleth means teacher, and it's written from the perspective of the son of David, king in Jerusalem, which is either Solomon or someone like Solomon. But in today's terms, think of like the wealth of Jeff Bezos. You don't know who Jeff Bezos is, richest man in the world, right? One of the guys who can just fly up to space whenever he wants, right? This is one of, one of those guys. Just think of him in co- combination to um, someone who is more or less a dictator of the largest world power. That is who is writing the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's writing out of their personal experience. And that's significant when you think that this person has at their disposal every resource, every opportunity, every authority one could ever want to bring them today's emotion, which is happiness. And everybody wants to be happy, right? We all want to be happy. Now, I'm thinking about this, and over the last six months, we focused on something similar, something right down the road, maybe a cousin of happiness. We focused on joy a couple of times over the last six months. Uh, we did a series on the fruit of the Spirit last summer. Many of you remember that. And these are aspects of the presence of God in our lives, and there's a list of them. Love, joy, right? We talked about joy as one of those. And then most recently, um, during the season of Advent, just this last December, we talked about joy. But joy is different than happiness. My favorite saying or, or quote about joy comes from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said, Joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is deeper than happiness. It's deeper than a fleeting emotion. Joy originates in God, and that's why it's the business of heaven. It's why we sing on Christmas, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is what we received when we received the presence of God in Jesus. It's why Christmas is so exciting. It's why we sing those songs with joy. It's why we really should celebrate every day because Emmanuel means God with us, which means joy is with us. But while joy is different than happiness, most people I know, even religious people, even deep people that think about these things would say that while I recognize joy is something of heaven, I would still like to be happy. (laughs) I would still like to be happy. Even if it's different, we still desire to be happy. And weddings, I I, I used to use this joke a lot. I I don't think I've used it in a while. I'm not sure I agree with it anymore, but it's funny. I used to share this in, in weddings with the couple, we'd be standing up front here as part of my message. I would say, you're going to get into some conflicts. You're going to fight. And when you fight, you're going to have two options that you have to choose from. Do you want to be right? I'm looking at a, at a couple here who's going to be standing here in a couple of months. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? 
Think about it. Most of the time, people laugh. Maybe that's why I don't use it anymore, because it's not that funny anymore. It's a joke I heard from some comedian somewhere. I don't use it because it's not really fair. It's not really true, right? The two are not mutually exclusive. We, we should never have to give up what is right in order to be happy. But usually, the joke does get a laugh, and not just because the pastor gave it the wrong way, but because we know that, that few things in life can sour our happiness faster than when someone we love is in conflict with us, right? It's really hard to be happy when someone you're close to is not happy with you. And we learned this a, a number of years ago. We did a small group series here called What Makes You Happy? We, we went through the book of Ecclesiastes on Sundays. And then for the small group portion, we focused on a series by Pastor Andy Stanley. And he answered the question, what makes you happy? He said, happy people are people who are at peace. And then he went on from that and, and said this, peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves and it equips us to make peace with others. In other words, if we don't have a good relationship with God and we don't have a good relationship with ourselves, that gets in the way of our peace in our relationship with other people. And the reason why is because when you don't have a good relationship with God or yourself, what ends up happening is you end up expecting other people or other things. You end up grabbing for them to fulfill you in a way that only God can or only God has made you capable of doing for yourself. And it really applies to marriage, right? Like somebody might say, especially when they're newly wed, like, oh, what makes you happy? Oh, my spouse makes me happy. But if you grab hold of your spouse and say, make me happy, how does that feel? <laughs> See, there's a difference, right? There's a difference. You need to first become at peace with God and find peace with yourself. It's at the heart of what Jesus teaches in Matthew 22. He was asked a question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law. You've heard this before. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor. Say these last two words with me. As yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, all of the instruction in the entire Bible can be hinged on finding peace with God yourself and others by these two commandments and you break this down and you go okay i'm in church right i i expect to hear love the lord your god put god first in everything we get that we also probably subscribe to love your neighbor right like that sounds too like something we're just intimately familiar with but i had you read the last two words because those are the words that get a little bit confusing love your neighbor say it with me again as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, what Jesus is saying is you can't love your neighbor until you love yourself. You can't love your spouse until you love yourself. You can't love your friend until you love yourself. You can't love your kids until you love yourself. And you can't love yourself until you love God. And you can't love God until you know that God already loves you. 1 John 4, 19, right? We love because he first loved us. Joy to the world! That's why we sing it. And to love God is to put God first before anything in our life. And to seek him in all things. And what does this all have to do with happiness? 
Well, ask yourself a question. Think about this for a minute. You don't have to answer it out loud, but think about this. In what circumstances in your life do you experience the emotion of happiness the most? Just think about that. What, what brings you happiness in your life? And actually, when, when I ask that question, it might not be the right question because I feel like we're going to have a lot of ideal answers, right? We'll say, oh, when I'm serving others, when I'm loving my neighbor, when I'm worshiping Jesus, you know, all that kind of stuff. How about this? Ask, answer this question. When you're not happy, what's the first thing you reach for? When you're not happy, what is the first thing you reach for? I brought my example. It's just one. person in the front pew of the 8 o'clock service said, no, Pastor Tom, you reach for pizza. <laughs> and it's actually true. A number of years ago, many of you remember the Zorn family uh, worshipped with us, were on staff with us, and uh, Nicole Zorn, we had uh, two foster kids that had been with us for a year and a half. And they went home, back home, reunified with their mom. Beautiful thing. It was just a wonderful, um, wonderful story. And at the same time, we loved them as our own for a year and a half. And so that was a really, really hard week. And I remember Nicole knowing me well enough to know what I reach for when I'm not happy. She said, Pastor Tom, I'll bet you're going to eat a lot of pizza this week, aren't you? <laughs> and it was true. And it was, you know, it's a joke. And she was kind of kidding. And she knew how hard that week was going to be. But at the same time, it was convicting to me because I'm like, you know what? That is what I'm going to do. There are things that I'm going to reach for because I'm not happy, hoping that they're going to make me happy. And that is what this is addressing today. That's what really the entire book of Ecclesiastes is trying to challenge us in because chances are, whatever it is that you answer that question about, when you're not happy, what you reach for, chances are it's something that you and I can work for. It's something that you can achieve. It's something that you can buy. It's something that you can eat. It's something that you can control. It's something that the author of Ecclesiastes himself has intimate experience with because he's the richest and the most powerful person in the world. And so that means he has literally experienced almost everything. And what we're going to learn about happiness from him and other places in scripture is that true happiness is not found by reaching for something. It's found by reaching up and reaching out. And I want you to say this out loud because I'd actually really like you to memorize this so that next time you reach for something, you remember where happiness really comes from. Let's say it together. True happiness is not found by reaching for. It's found by reaching up and reaching out. Now, if you missed last week, we talked about a Hebrew word that you'll find throughout Ecclesiastes to describe everything in life. It's actually quite depressing. He says everything in life is meaningless. Meaningless. And if you look at the word in Hebrew, you'll find that meaningless really doesn't quite capture the definition of the word. It's, it's a word that in Hebrew is used as is, is describing chasing after the wind, chasing after smoke, right? I really actually, I really like the idea of smoke because you can see it, right? You can smell it. It can impact your life. You can even catch up with it. But when you get to it, you can't grab hold of it. And this man who's experienced everything and has everything at his disposal says that everything on earth, even the good things on earth, are just like that. They're all like smoke. 
They're like, they're meaningless. You, you catch them and you can't hold on to them. It's all fleeting. And so he asks a logical question. If that's how everything in life is, verse 9, he says, then, then what do workers gain from their toil? <laughs> I mean, you can work really hard and gain a lot, but if it's all stuff that's fleeting anyway, if it's all meaningless, if it's all smoke, then what do workers gain from their toil? He says, I have seen the burden that God has placed on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time, but he has also set eternity on the human heart. And no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Now, if you missed last week, you'll see the first, first eight verses of chapter three. It's this beautiful poetic description of Koheleth explaining that there is a time for everything, right? The birds, you know the song. It comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that there is significance in every moment of our life. And then he concludes it by saying, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And then at the very same time, we recognize that at the end of the day, nothing is ever enough because it's all like smoke. You can't hold on to it. And he says, this is like a burden that's hanging over the heads of every human being on the face of the earth because every human being has inside of themselves this innate desire for things that last forever. That there's this part of us that wants eternity. We were made for eternity. And so in a world full of fleeting things, we are made for a life that lasts forever. We are made with the desire inside of us to find peace with a God that every one of us has lost peace with. That's why it's a burden. And so what does a worker gain to get more things, to grab hold of more stuff to make us happy? We can experience wonderful, significant moments. But even in the most significant, wonderful moments, it's never enough. And there's three reasons why nothing you can grab for will ultimately bring you the happiness that only God can bring. And the first one is this. We will always want more. We will always want more. doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have. We will always want more. Ecclesiastes, jump to chapter 5. The author says this. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Now again, the word meaningless. This too is smoke. It's fleeting. And last time I, I preached on this passage, I remember what came to my mind when I read those words was the Beatles song, Can't Buy Me Love. You know the song, right? I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me. Yep, and some of you are singing it, right? Because it's really catchy. And it's not just catchy because of the tune. It's catchy because we can all relate. It's a good song. And so, so anyway, I was reading these words. Whoever loves money never has enough. And I'm thinking about the Beatles song. I don't care too much for money, right? I did a little research, and here's what I learned. Mr. Paul McCartney wrote those words. And about 50 years after those words were written and recorded and released, do you know how much Paul McCartney was making, how much money he was making in any given year? $47 million. In 2016, so it's grown since then, his net worth is estimated to be at over $1.1 billion. This is the guy who wrote the words, I don't care too much for money. <laughs> and he has more money than he knows what to do with. And you know why? Because he does care. 
Of course he cares. You care. I care. You care. We all care. We all care because money buys the things, the stuff that we reach for to make us happy when we're not happy. There was an advertisement I read a number of years ago. It says this, money doesn't buy happiness. It does buy jet skis. Have you ever seen a sad person on a jet ski? <laughs> and I were, I mean, you can't argue with that logic. I worked at a marina when I was in high school, but here's the problem with that. When you buy a jet ski, here's the thing. You're going to need a boat to go with the jet ski. <laughs> and when you buy a boat to go with the jet ski, then you're going to have to get a bigger boat next year. I went, I worked at a marina, and every year you'd have the same guy coming in and trading in one boat for the next boat for the next boat. It's a joke. Everybody knows this is how this works. And for you... Maybe it's not a boat, right? It's January. Maybe that's not what's drawing you in. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's early retirement. Maybe it's a big chocolate candy bar. I don't know what it is, but, but whatever it is, chances are if you ask someone who's gotten what you think you need in order to make you happy, like the author of Ecclesiastes who's had it all, they will tell you that ultimately it did not bring a happiness that lasted. The happiness that they received, even if it was temporary, did not last as long as they thought it would. Why? Because we always want more. And that's not sinful. We always want more because the author of Ecclesiastes says our hearts are set on eternity. You were made to want something that lasts forever. And anything less than that, this will not last forever. This will last less than 30 seconds in my hands. Anything like this will not satisfy your heart. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 11. As good in, goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to owners except to feast their eyes on them. What we have is never enough. And it leads us to the second thing we learn about why things we can grab hold of don't make us happy. It's that the more we have, the more we have to protect. Verse 12, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. The more we have, the more we expect what we have to make us happy. And the more we expect what we have to make us happy, the more we have to protect it from other people that might want to eat your chocolate bar. Do you see what I'm saying? If you buy a brand new car, anybody who's ever bought a brand new car, you know exactly how this works, right? You park in the very back of every parking lot you go to until you get one scratch and then it doesn't matter anymore. But before that, you're paying more on insurance, you're paying more, you get more steps in, right? You're working harder to protect what makes you happy. And gone to its extreme, that can end up having the opposite effect of what we intended those things to have on us. And that leads us to the third thing we learn about the reasons for why the things we grab for can't make us happy. And that is that there is always a risk. Risk within, but risk outside our ability to control. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. And this is that wealth is hoarded in the harm of its owners. Or, another evil, wealth is lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there's nothing left behind for them to inherit. 
My kids, they actually just brought this up this week. Um, our oldest two, Jake and Evan, they asked my wife, Alyssa, and I, they said, how much money do you have? You know, because they're in middle school, and all middle school kids ask that question. And so, you know, we we're trying to, how do we explain that and retirements and, you know, all this stuff. And as we were explaining it, they got to the heart of what they really wanted to know. Who gets it when you die? <laughs> Right. So I saw, I told them the story, the prodigal said, no, I didn't really, that wasn't their heart, they weren't being mean, they were just genuinely curious, and so I explained to them that we have a will, and I said, you know, the problem for you guys is that there's five of you, <laughs> and so if there's anything left, it's not going to be much, so don't, don't, don't get your hopes on that, but the author of Ecclesiastes, he's different, right, he's got more than any of us could ever imagine, and, and he sees that even the people that have so much, there's still no guarantees in life. Sometimes it's because we're not satisfied, we want more. Sometimes it's because it's a burden on us. But even for the rare person, and these people exist, they exist in this church. I know some of you are not like that. You sleep well at night. You're not looking to the things that you're, there's nothing inherently wrong with having a lot, right? And, and you're not looking to those things to make you happy. So even if you're that person who sleeps well at night, there's still the possibility of misfortune, that, that something will happen to what you have that is completely out of your control, like the stock market crashing, or you lose your job, or there's a global pandemic, Right? I mean, I don't know how many people I talked to in that first month or two as the stock market adjusted, right, at the very beginning of March of 2020, people who had retirement plans that suddenly were completely up in the air wondering how am I going to provide for my family. And this doesn't, just provide, this doesn't just apply to the Paul McCartneys in the world. It applies to all of us. Um, a number of years ago, and this really stuck with me, I read a book called, um, the title is Janesville, an American Story, and it was written by the author uh, Amy Goldstein, and she wrote about the, the 5,000 workers that worked at the General Motors plant in nearby Janesville. Um, There's the oldest General Motors plant, and it shut down in 2008, and all 5,000 people, plus all countless others throughout Janesville, lost their jobs in an instant, and it, and it really tells the story of their lives. And, you know, some of these people is just, just remarkable. They were third generation people that worked at that plant. And I'm looking at, out at you because that wasn't very long ago. I know some of you, maybe you worked there or you had family or friends that worked at that plant. And for some of these people, third generation, if there was anything in your life that felt unshakable, it was getting a job at General Motors. Like if there was anything, and, 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 and you can't blame anyone for feeling that way, right? Because if you grew up and you know that grandpa provided for your mom or dad by working at General Motors his entire career, and then you grew up and your parent worked at General Motors and provided for you for your entire childhood, and then you went and you got a job working for General Motors, right? Like, nothing could happen. This will never, you hear about other plants closing, but this will never happen to me. And that's what we all think until it does. And that's the whole point. The reason they tell the story about Janesville is not because Janesville is unique, but because it's not. Because this happens over and over again in so many different places in so many different ways. Just like none of us could have predicted what would happen to our world back in 2020 or 2021. 
And I'm sorry to say, in January, at the very beginning, you can't predict what's going to happen in 2022 either. And Goldstein wrote this, and this is the one line I'll never forget from the book. She said, you never know when one unexpected event will transform you into the person on the other side. It's perspective. And it's what the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to communicate throughout the entire book. It's what we see in verse 15. He says, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and everyone comes in the same way they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands, which is why this is so important. And it's why God's word over and over again draws us back to the only true source of happiness, true happiness. What is it? Say it with me. True happiness is found not in reaching for, but by reaching up and reaching out. It's peace. It's peace with God, which leads us to peace with ourselves, because if you're at peace with God and he has made peace with you, that's the gospel, then what does it matter what anyone else thinks, right? You are at peace with God, which brings peace to ourselves and then gives us what it takes to reach out to the world with the peace that others need as well. And when that happens, everything changes. So that while on this side of heaven, we will always have a desire for more, we can also learn that in God, we already have everything. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and righteousness. Grab hold of those things. And there's tangible ways in which to grab hold of those things. And when you grab hold of those things, everything else will be given to you as well. If you don't know the context of Matthew 6, everything else represents food and clothing and shelter. What you need to live. Maybe not what you want, but what you need. God will Provide. And when we learn to trust that, that we have everything we need in God, you can stop being so protective of what you do have, and you can trust the second thing we learn, and that is that God will protect you. God is our protector. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not, be, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And when we trust God and we trust him as our protector, we can look ahead at the world that seems so out of control, so out of control, right? And we can say and know that God is always in control. That while it might seem out of control, God is always in control. Proverbs 19:21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. These are truth. And if you inject these truths into your life today, remember that your emotions and mine tell us something about ourselves. What is it that you reach for to make you happy? Because Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to encourage you as our musicians come up, would you... Would you just join me in prayer? Because there's a lot that's convicting here, and only the Holy Spirit can point out in each and every one of us how we need to apply this truth. And so let's, let's join together and pray.
Lord God, when it comes to happiness, we, we acknowledge that just like any emotion, it's temporary, it's fleeting, it's something that is wildly complex. It's impacted by our nature, it's impacted by our personality, it's impacted on, by what's happening all around us. For many of us, we, we, we struggle. Many of us, we struggle with depression, we struggle with mental illness. And we recognize that, that there are, are very real physical and chemical realities that impact our experience of happiness or lack thereof. And so, God, we, we come before you and we acknowledge the complexity of this and the complexity of every emotion and recognize that our emotions are complex because you are a complex God. No matter how happy or unhappy we are, we we all have in our heads a list of things we reach for to make us happy. And we recognize that that list shows us where we seek our happiness from. And so I pray, God, for my own heart as well as the hearts of every person who are gathered here, near, and far, would you convict us in this? Would you help us to be convinced? Help us to discover that true happiness comes from being at peace. Being at peace in a way that's only possible because you came down to be with us. It is, it's what we recognize on this day. Churches all around the world are, are recognizing on this day, the day of your baptism, Jesus. It's the day that we see eternity Eternity that was placed on every human heart coming through you. And then we watch your life, Jesus. And through your life and your death and your resurrection, your promise is that as we come to you and you come to us, eternity comes to us as well. And so God, help us. Help us as we seek to be happy. Because everybody wants to be happy. As we desire to control our own happiness, help us instead reach for something, not something, but to reach up to what the true source of happiness comes from, the true source of joy, not reaching for, but reaching up and reaching out. It is in Jesus' name that we pray all these things.